0: Good morning ladies and gentlemen. I'm Dave Crouch and this is Policy Talks brought to you each month by the Williamson Inc our uh, Chamber of Commerce here in Williamson County. We're uh got a bright eyed audience here at Columbia State this morning on this uh in this beautiful campus here. And uh would invite anybody else that uh, has never been here. You need to come over and check out this facility. We appreciate uh, Dr. Lampley and Mary Beth and Dr. Smith and now Rick Graham for making us feel welcome over here. Uh, Rick Graham, the former mayor of Spring Hill, is now uh, Director of Development here. Is that right, Rick? And uh, we're uh, glad to see him on board with the crew here. So uh, we uh, have a a TV audience with WCTV, Creed Henderson and his crew, uh, put us on the air there, and uh, we have a radio audience over at WAKM, and Tom Lawrence uh, makes sure that uh, we get out to the, the, the far reaches of Williamson County there. So uh, we welcome all of you. Our panel this morning is uh, two of our legislative delegation from Williamson County, our state legislative delegation. Our Senate Majority Leader, Senator Jack Johnson, that represents the 23rd District, to become the 27th district, I think, at some point. When does that happen?
1: Uh, November 4th,
0: whenever the election day is in November. Okay, so we're going to have to keep up with some new numbers then. We've got Sam Whitson, our state representative from the 65th district here in Franklin, and uh, we've uh, got two retiring uh, state representatives that decided not uh, they couldn't make it this morning, and I understand why, because... You guys have been working hard for the last two weeks, very hard, but uh, Glenn Cassida and uh, Brandon Ogles uh, are not here and Todd Warner, uh, who has been joining us some uh, is not here this morning, so we're going to talk about them, but uh we'll uh, uh we'll let Jack and Sam uh, do most of the talking. You got done yesterday, and uh the last time I talked to anybody a couple of days ago, it sounded like you had another couple of weeks of work to do. So how did that happen? Jack?
1: Well, we did. We, we adjourned sine die is the term.
0: Uh, I believe that's Latin. I'm
1: not sure. But uh, uh, we adjourned uh, sine die yesterday afternoon about 3.30, I guess, uh, both the House and the Senate. <clears throat> and so wrapped up the 112th General Assembly. Every General Assembly is two years two legislative sessions, so you have the first session of a General Assembly and you have the second session of a General Assembly, and obviously this was the second session of the 112, so we wrapped it up and adjourned uh, sine die. It's very difficult. People are always asking, when are you guys going to wrap up? When are you going to get done? My wife is asking, when are you going to get done? Uh, And it's very, very difficult to pinpoint, and the reason is, like anything in life, all of the difficult things get pushed to the end. You know, it's just a natural process of procrastination, sometimes procrastination, sometimes it's just it's a complex, difficult issue that needs more time and more negotiation. You've got the House, you've got the Senate, you've got the governor, uh, and people are negotiating and trying to work out these complex issues. Uh, And it's just really hard to pinpoint um, because that might take an additional week. uh, It might take an additional few days. Uh, The other thing you have to throw into the mix, which we did have this this year, uh, there were a couple of things that were moving through the legislature that the governor was not a fan of. And so he never really threatened to veto, but you have to contemplate the fact that if we pass something and then the governor vetoes it, then we want to stick around to potentially override his veto. So you've got all these different procedural things that go into the mix. The good news is we all came together in alignment uh, this week. Um, we passed the budget. Last week, and some of these more complex issues, which you know we can talk about and get into today, we were able to negotiate between the House, the Senate, and the governor and, and, and land the plane, as, as we say. So, we, we brought the plane in for a landing. So, but we had a really, really good session this year, Dave. We'll talk about, I know, a number of the things. We passed a really good budget, Tennessee is in great shape, um, and we're prepared for the future. One of the good things about this session.
2: Um, Last year we signed, or we didn't sign any die. We adjourned at 3:30 a.m. <laughs> Yesterday we adjourned at 3:30 p.m., which, which is <laughs> better. <laughs> yeah, much better and better government, I think, at 3:30 p.m. So, uh, and Jack hit on it. A lot of the uh, more complex stuff gets pushed toward the end, and, and a lot of that has to do with the final budget that comes in that we work with on the governor the last two or three weeks. And for instance, in finance, uh, on the House side, there's finance sub and finance full. And so a lot of bills that we hear throughout the year get what we call put behind the budget because we don't know where we're going to be, how much money we're going to have to spend. And we're talking about hundreds of bills. And so uh, we listen to these bills all throughout the year on finance sub, which I'm proud to be a member of. Uh, Our chairman, Gary Hicks, is an incredible legislator and a wonderful person and friend. And then our finance full chairman I call her the new Charles Sargent, Patsy Hazelwood from Signal Mountain. She does a great job also as our finance full chairman. So we listen to these bills throughout the year, and they all get put behind the budget and finance sub. So the last week, they take like maybe 160 bills. They find out how much money we can spend on those, and we all have to go through probably about 80 of them. (coughs) There's money enough for those. So we listen to all those bills on Tuesday morning, and we're in what we call a flow motion. We can move it up where they have to wait a week, a week. We could do it all within a day. So we listened to 70 bills Tuesday morning, <laughs> and we passed them to full. And then an hour later... Detail, I'm sure. Oh, in detail, yes, because we've already heard them once, okay? <laughs> so, and then, so on Tuesday after, morning after finance sub, we move them on to finance full. Well, I'm on finance full, so I, we get to listen to them again, the other 70, 80 bills in finance full. Then after we pass them out, they have to go to calendar rules that afternoon. So I get to listen to them again because I was number 70 in calendar rules. So then we get to listen to them again on the floor. So we have pretty good knowledge of the bills if you're on finance. And so when we look at these bills that we fund from behind the budget, we make sure there's – try to look at a statewide application, what's good for most of the state, and and there's some specific bills, uh, like, for instance, a library coordinator bill we had or establishing in a compact for uh, licensed professional counselors with other states. And, and so it's just really is a tedious process. It's uh, a lot of time spent listening and uh, listening to other, the other 10% who do 90% of the talking up
0: there. Jack, the, uh, uh, you're in a particularly uh, interesting position um, as Senate Majority Leader, because you have to carry the governor's bills, some of which apparently weren't very popular this year. Or maybe you were representing the governor. On uh, How does all that work, and how do you deal with um, when the governor is not uh, particularly in line with what the leadership uh, wants to see happening? So.
1: Well, you can think about it from a couple of different directions. You're right. As majority leader, I do sponsor the governor's legislative initiatives, uh, including the budget, which is the most important bill we, we pass every year, the state budget. Um, and, but it's a, it's a two-way street. It's, it's my job to advocate for the governor's legislation, which 99 times out of 100, I'm happy to do. We're all aligned. It's a good bill. Everybody's in pretty broad agreement about what the governor's trying to do. But it's also my job to push back the other way and tell the governor, I'm not crazy about this particular thing you want to get done, or my members are not that crazy about this particular initiative, and so let's sit down and see if we can figure it out, amend it, change it, and and get something done. But generally speaking, again, we're blessed as Republicans to have Republican supermajorities up there. And obviously, the governors are Republicans, So we're very closely aligned from a philosophical standpoint. I'll give you a couple of examples, though, and Sam can chime in as well. Uh, We'll probably talk about the new education funding formula. That was was a big, big deal and probably the most complex, intensive legislative initiative I've ever been a part of. And certainly in the, the amount of money involved and the number of stakeholders involved. We're talking about over a million kids in K-12 schools and 147 school districts. Uh, This is a big deal. But it was good. And we got it done, and we can go into detail on that. But there was a lot of conversations back and forth between the Department of Education, the governor's office, Hearing from our local stakeholders here in Williamson County and across the state, all members were getting feedback from their school superintendents, their school board members, their county mayors, their county commissioners. So you just think about how many people have a finger in, in funding education and in executing education. So it was really, really an interesting uh, process. And we ended up getting it done, and there was pretty broad support to get that done. Uh, An example where our speakers, the Lieutenant Governor, uh, Speaker of the Senate, and and the Speaker of the House, uh, were very passionate about uh, truth and sentencing uh, uh, reform. Uh, Meaning that when when a judge imposes a sentence, that it's, if if you sentence the person to 10 years, they they should do 10 years, not do two and a half years. And, And so, that was something that the governor, who you know has been very passionate about criminal justice reform, he had some heartburn about the original way that the bill was uh, drafted. And so there was there was negotiation uh, on that. And we ended up in a good place. We ended up with a bill that the governor can sign. I think our speakers were happy with the final product. Uh, so it's just like any other bill. It's just the stakes might get a little bit higher when, when you're dealing with both the speakers of each chamber and, and, and the governor, as well as our members, and making sure that we can get 17 votes in the Senate, 50 votes in the House, which is what you have to have in order to pass anything.
2: Well, go ahead, Sam. Yeah, it's true. And, uh, again, that shows sometimes you have to compromise to get something passed. And um, and the Senate led on this and the House, uh, and that we, you know, we felt like that we owed it to the citizens of Tennessee that we there is truth in sentencing. And uh, so uh, they worked out the, you know, what I think was the best uh, for Tennessee on how it came about, and I was glad to support it. And I appreciate Jack's leadership in that.
0: Let's uh- – dig on into some of the details on the education uh funding bill guys the um additional one billion dollars get got spread around tennessee in various ways um how did williamson county come out uh on those uh well, first numbers?
2: of all uh there was concern uh, of course williamson county school system came out ahead uh, they you know and, and we work very closely with uh uh, Superintendent Golden and Snowden on this because we just didn't want to go off on a tangent on our own. And we want to make sure we look at the impact on our county. Uh, I talked a lot to Dr. Snowden about this because because of the decline in enrollment in Franklin Special School District. They were, even under BEP, they would lose two and a half million dollars. So we worked together to make sure they were held harmless under this new plan the first year. And it'd be 25% reduction each year after that till they meet uh, their enrollment numbers. Uh, yeah. So um, it, it, we felt like they were going to lose money, too, under the BEP. Um, so uh, we worked closely with that, and also I worked with the Tennessee Education Association too to see what they felt like would be the impact on the teachers. They uh, basically remained neutral on this legislation because, like Jack said, the BEP was not working after this period of time. and, and And yesterday during the debate, it went on for quite a while, and a lot of my Democrat friends and colleagues had reservations about it until uh, Representative Johnny Shaw, a Democrat, one of the last rural Democrats in the state, stood up and said, folks, all I hear is criticism. He said there is some good things in this legislation he's going to support. He said let's stop talking. Let's go back home because it's going to be, what, a year or two before this is implemented. Let's see what, talk to our constituents back home, our leaders, see what we could do to make it better when we come back in January, and then we can fix it then. He says, we have to do something. And so Johnny Shaw... I hear he
0: was a little more uh, uh, to the point in those comments. I can't repeat the
2: words he said on the House floor. Uh, He is a minister, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) But... uh, It was a uh, let's say come to Jesus meeting Uh, and uh, and so that basically cut off the debate we moved ahead and approved the BP or excuse me the uh, TISA as they call it uh, in in the house
0: yeah Jack uh, specifically Williamson County Schools um, the last numbers I saw were another 20 billion or 20 million dollars a year is that kind of where it leveled out I saw there was some adjustment made for high cost of living uh, areas. They must have heard us talking here a couple of months ago. Uh, yeah, or y'all must have carried that back to them. Uh, how, does, how does that work for us, though?
1: Yeah, that's the, no pun intended, the million-dollar question. I think everybody wants to know, and, and our county commission, our school folks, how much more money will Williams and County get? Well, it's tough to answer that. It, it is just tough to answer, and here's why. It'll be positive, and it'll be positive to a significant degree. Okay. But the, the thing about this new formula, and the reason we supported it, is we're funding kids with the new formula. The current formula, we fund processes, we fund bureaucracies, we fund systems. This is a student-centered formula. And every dollar that comes from the state to educate a kid will be tied to that kid. Every child across the state will receive a base funding amount, $6,860. It doesn't matter if you're in Hancock County, Davidson County, Williams County, Shelby County. Every kid gets that base funding amount. And that's to provide a teacher, a classroom, textbook, a bus, a school nurse, a counselor, all the things that go into educating a child. That's the base. And then you have weights is what we refer to them as. And a child might receive an additional appropriation if they come from an economically distressed household or an economically distressed community. Uh, if they have a unique learning need, they have some type of special need, there will be additional money appropriated to that child. But it's all directed towards the child. So when you want to extrapolate that and try to figure out what's going to be the impact on a school system, Williamson County, Franklin Special, Davidson County, it doesn't matter. Well, it's, you can kind of look at what they have now. You can look at their student population now and say they have this many English language learners. They have this many kids with special needs. They have this many kids from economically distressed households or Title I schools. We don't have Title I schools in Williams County, but that's an example. So the good news is, is that when it comes time to fund that formula, you will have this data and the detail to be able to fund it. And, for, and that's, that's a good thing. That will provide greater accountability and transparency across the board. I can tell you for Williamson County, it will be in the tens of millions of dollars in terms of additional funding. Now, is that 20 million, 30, 40 million? <clears throat> you mentioned, and, and this was a late development, uh, we did include, um, which I was fully supportive of, you're referring to CDF, cost differential factor. And that was not something that was contemplated in the original version of the formula. You know, Commissioner Bethard would tell you here it cost more, or Sheila would tell you it costs more to hire a teacher in Williamson County because of just the cost of living. It costs more to build a school in Williamson County than it does, say, in Upper East Tennessee. Uh, There's just different cost factors that that are involved in in operating a school system. And so I was very pleased to see that CDF added in uh, at the the last minute. And that would help uh, about five counties based on current economic conditions, uh, and certainly Williamson County is one of those. So that could mean an additional several million dollars to Williamson County. So it, it's, it's a complex formula, um, but, uh, but at the end of the day, it's going to be a much better formula. And you did hit, the nose, uh, hit that correctly, Dave, an additional billion dollars. This is the largest increase in funding for K-12 education in the history of the state, even adjusted for inflation. <laughs> at any time in our state's history, it's the largest increase. Now, Sam and I would tell you, we were not happy with just throwing more money after bad, good money after bad. I would not have supported the additional money for K-12 education if we did not redo the formula because we want a better formula. <clears throat> it still puts us below some of our neighboring states in terms of the percentage of our economy that we dedicate towards K-12 education, but it puts us in, in a much better uh, position. And, and to Sam's point, the, the full effectiveness will not be this coming school year, although 250 million. Uh, uh, additional recurring dollars will go into the coming uh, school year, including $125 million for teacher salaries. Uh, the full implementation of the new formula and the full billion dollars will be the following school year.
0: Now, um, it's, you know, over the last several years, a lot of legislation uh, comes down to party-line votes. All the Repu- uh, Republicans have a supermajority, so if the Republicans want it, all the Republicans vote against it, all the Democrats vote excuse me, all the Democrats vote against it and the Republicans vote for it. But this one had six Republicans that voted against it and five Democrats in favor of it, which is unprecedented, isn't it? Uh, how, what... Uh, what- again, it, again, it goes back to the perception,
2: like uh, Representative Shaw said, uh, we needed to do something. and uh, and But some, you know, people... Probably faced local opposition to it, hearing from their teachers, or you know, to vote for it or vote against it, and so uh, they just were representing their constituents, and somehow may have had a vested interest in it somehow
0: too. Okay. It um, was. Uh, I thought that was an interesting development, and uh, interesting that uh, y'all worked together with the other side apparently and got some things done. Yes, and um, I and.
2: I would like to say Speaker Sexton has a good relationship with Leader Camper over on the House side. Uh, we work very well together, uh, most of the time. And again, you come down, you know, 90% of the votes, you'll have 100% of uh, the um, uh, General Assembly voting yes on a. And I think there was one bill maybe that failed uh, this year or two in the House, and uh, and Leader Camper even got one through this year uh, that had received 50 votes. So, uh, yeah, she is the Dem- Yes, she's the Democrat leader uh, okay. from Memphis.
0: Right. Uh, moving on, uh, one of the other interesting pieces of the budget uh, uh, involved the Titans' proposed new stadium, and um, the media is saying the state's going to uh, kick in five hundred million dollars for that new stadium. Uh, that may be a little bit of a mischaracterization, as I understand it. Um, tell us exactly how that works and, and what the state's on the hook for and uh, how that uh, benefits the, well, the, the broad state of Tennessee. let start from my perspective.
2: Um, I was born and raised in Nashville, native son. Um, and um, I remember Nashville, uh, the tallest building was the Helen C. Tower. And I remember when I-65 was not here or I-24. And uh, so I've seen Nashville change over the years. Nashville contributes between 38 and 40 percent of all the tax revenue for the state of Tennessee. Think about that, how important Nashville is to the state of Tennessee. And Nashville has challenges that we do not have here in Williamson County. Let's, let's agree to that. But I remember, you remember when the Music City Center was being built in Nashville, the pushback on that. It was a waste of government money and, and then, you know, it's going it's to cost this and cost that. Every Reagan dinner I've been to has been in the Music City Center. We are using the Music City Center to get the Republican National Convention here. So sometimes you have to step out and try to think deep on this. Um, and so I supported that. I supported the one percent hotel uh, motel tax increase in Nashville because it's, it, is, it will not go into effect unless they pass the legis or this tiny Stadium goes forward, the new stadium. I don't know if you've been to the stadium, it's outdated, the one we have. And if you had told me 20 years ago Nashville uh, would support a hockey team, I would not believe you, okay, because it just doesn't work down south. And look at the draw that the Predators have in in Nashville. So I I look on it as a uh, benefit to the entire state. One of the most outspoken persons against that in the General Assembly, You know, was talking about the cost of his residence and stuff. But he didn't complain at all when he got $20 million for a water park in his district from the state of Tennessee a few years ago. So I look on it as a uh, benefit for the entire state, not just to Nashville. And again, Williamson County benefits. When Nashville does well, we benefit here in Williamson County. And when Williamson County does well, Nashville benefits. So that was my position on it, and I'm sticking to it.
0: (laughs) Jack, uh, you voted against it. I did.
1: I did. In fact, I took it out of the Senate budget. (laughs) I did. One of a rare moments, Sam and I are probably on a a different page here. We're still friends. Um, No, look, I, I support targeted economic incentives when I can demonstrate that there is a quantifiable and discernible return on investment to the taxpayers. And let me give you an example. The Ford deal an SK Innovations thing that that we passed for West Tennessee at the mega site. And ironically, it was the same dollar amount. It was a $500 million incentive package and reimbursable grants to Ford and SK Innovations to build out their facility in West Tennessee, a $6 billion facility. So as they build it out, they can submit their expense receipts back to the state, and we'll reimburse them $500 million on that, 20,000 jobs that is fully developed and and it's in an economically distressed part of the state it's not middle Tennessee where you know we've got a lot of cranes so I support economic incentives in certain circumstances and the Ford deal for me was a slam dunk that that was a no-brainer deal we will recoup billions and billions of dollars off of that not to mention it's going to provide desperately needed economic stimulation to a depressed area of the state between jackson and memphis okay so i bring that up because we really hadn't talked a whole lot about the Ford deal because we did that in a special session back back last fall on the titans thing <clears throat> i love the titans i want them to be here i think it would be great for downtown nashville to have a covered stadium to have a facility that you can use year round for concerts and wrestlemania and tractor pulls and whatever else that would be good And you should also know that the Titans want to develop the 130-acre campus around their site. And last year, a year ago, I renegotiated the deal, the the tax structure we have with the Titans. And that was back last year during our session last. uh, And I was happy to work with them because they told us they wanted to renovate their stadium. And they wanted to develop the campus around it. And what we set up for the Titans at that time is we said, you can continue to keep the sales tax revenue you generate inside the stadium. And that's fairly common for, we do that for the Predators, we do it for the Memphis Grizzlies, and that type of thing. So that's, that's foregone revenue to the state. It's not We're not getting it now, so it's not coming out of your pocket or my pocket. It's foregone revenue, but you can keep that sales tax. Additionally, last year, we said if you develop the 130 acre campus there around the stadium, and put in restaurants and hotels and condos and office buildings, whatever. We'll let you keep half the sales tax from that, and we'll get the other half. Now, that deal I negotiated with the Titans last year was a good deal for the state of Tennessee. Nothing came out of our pocket. They're going to put all the money into developing it, and when it's done, we're going to generate revenue. We're going to generate tax revenue off the 130-acre site. That's accretive. It is net revenue positive to the state. We're not putting any money in, and we're going to collect that half, half the sales tax on the side. Well, they went and looked at their stadium and said, you know what? The stadium we built is really not that well built. We're going to need to build a new stadium. And so they show up and say, hey, would you throw in another $500 million? <laughs> well, how are you going to pay that $500 million back? Where's the revenue? Where, where are we going to get that back? Well, they want to use the other half of the sales tax that was supposed to be what is net revenue positive to us. And I'm not even convinced that that half the sales tax off the 130 acres will pay the debt service on the bonds over the next 20 years. So all I said was, not now. I need to see a plan. I need to see a plan that's, I need to see numbers. I want to see a a map of the development. I want our fiscal review folks to be able to take that and crunch the numbers and say, look, this is going to generate this much in sales tax revenue. Bring it to me. Let me see. Is it at least a break even deal? Or are we ultimately going to lose money on it? Now, as Sam said, and he's absolutely right, we're not. even though it passed over my objections, we're not writing a check to the Titans. We're not writing a check for anything. What we did is we authorized a bond issue when the stadium is completed, which could take three to four years, the, the, the governor's office will have the authority to issue bonds at that time against the stadium to reimburse for the cost of the roof, which would be $500 million. So I couldn't get there this year, maybe next year, maybe the year after that as I see more detail on the plan. Uh, that's why I opposed it. But, uh, uh, but I didn't win this one. You know, I fought the good fight, but didn't win this one
0: personal flashback for me but, uh, but I would
2: like to say see he knows the details more than probably anyone else up there and that's why I'm glad he's my right. senator
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're glad both of you represent us uh, there's no question about that uh, back in 1989 I was an alderman for the city of Franklin and uh, for whatever reason I was the swing vote on whether to fund uh, streetscape downtown when we change the square from square to round. And uh, I wouldn't agree to fund it until they convinced me that the property taxes from those specific buildings would pay for it. And and they jumped through a bunch of hoops and finally um, uh, convinced so skeptical me that that was actually gonna be positive for the city of Franklin. And you can see how that's turned out. Uh, it, uh, i f- I did vote yes, but uh they had to t- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I think you made the right vote it uh those things you know some of them that are look a little shaky on the front end do turn out well, and uh I'm sure this one will too the um uh, uh, and we're halfway through our show, and we've covered two out of ten items on my list uh anything else in the budget that y'all want to mention? I know there were tons of. Uh, smaller items, uh, some of which benefit Williamson County. Uh, yeah,
1: a a couple, of, couple of high points on there, and, and, and thank you for that because it is the most important thing we do. $280 million in, in tax cuts, obviously no new tax increases, uh, a number of different tax cuts. Grocery tax uh, holiday, we're going to waive your, the state portion uh, for renewing your car tags for the next year. We're trying to find ways, creative ways, to put money back in the pockets of Tennesseans. So almost $300 million going back to uh, Tennesseans and tax cuts. And the professional privilege tax for doctors, and
2: uh, we're working on it for financial advisors. No, you're not. <laughs> which live outside the state of Tennessee but that we'll get there like we're never
0: going to get that one
2: (laughs) uh, but anyway also locally uh, you know in the appropriations uh, there was another three over 3 million for the we worked on to get for the complete the Carter House visitor center that gives them because of inflationary costs and COVID the original 3 million was not going to get us there and uh, and you know, just small things like $50,000 appropriation for uh, High Hopes uh, to help them out, uh, 350000 across the state for Boys and Girls Club. And those are the kind of things. And, and during this budget process, and that's one thing I like to say. It's not just us. I mean, there is a team of dedicated state employees up there. There are attorneys uh, and staff working at midnight on Sundays. And Saturdays to get help us put this budget together and also to create the legislation we do. So we cannot forget the people that really help us. We can come up with these great ideas, but to put it in legal terms and to make sure it's all balanced is a team of, you know, the, uh, the, the finance team up there, the lawyers, and the staffers. They work incredibly hard the last two or three weeks of session.
0: Sam, as uh, chairman of the um, transportation Subcommittee and a uh, member of the Transportation Committee in the House, please tell me that there's a lot more money in the budget for potholes and uh, repaving uh, some of these roads around here.
2: Yeah, that's true. Uh, nothing has brought Americans together more than Putin and potholes. I would just say that. Um, it's, uh, it makes us all united. Yeah, th- this has been an incredibly different season and, and TDOT will say that the freeze cycles and the thaw cycles have has helped create this. Also, TDOT has been experimenting with a new kind of asphalt uh, that reduces spray from trucks. We don't know if that has worked out as well as we thought it would. But also, 40% of all potos I think, are in Middle Tennessee. And again, uh, (laughs) so that has brought a a lot. And also, TDOT is short 30% of their employees, too. So uh, you cannot do a lot of the repairs if the temperature is not right. And we we did experience a a much colder January, February, and parts of March on that. So they are working on it. They're dedicated. But they tried to do it during hours that – with the peak traffic, is not happening, but it will get there. Uh, and they do understand that this year has been different. And talked to Tdot leadership. In fact, I took the uh, Tdot Region Three team out, the chief engineer, to Fairview this past week to talk about what we can do for Fairview in the future, particularly Highway 100 widening project. It's on the it's on the Improve Act, and also they're moving forward uh, thanks to the former mayor down in Spring Hill. Uh, they're talking even about that intersection being done within a year. I'll believe that when I see it, but they are working it on I-65, and that will have, help the traffic flow on 31. So uh, what I want to do with Fairview is what set the standard that uh, the folks down in Spring Hill did over the
0: years. As uh, former mayor of Spring Hill, Rick uh, Rick Graham, one of your uh, signature uh, Things you left uh, for Spring Hill was this interchange on I-65. So, give us an update on it. I'm sure you know more about it than just about anybody in this room. Well,
1: it's just like Sam said. Uh, they're saying uh, next spring it'll be functional. All we've seen right now is uh, some barrels on the interstate on the side of the road, and uh, but they are moving somewhat on the uh, uh, on the Alexander property, the June Lake uh, areas. We're going to be calling it. So, uh, so we're excited. You know, all that work we did. Uh, Uh, back in the the grant we got from uh, uh, on the bill grant uh, all that's coming to fruition and uh, and uh, I think TDOT says they're on schedule so we're
0: going to take their word for it good that uh, that will benefit uh, a lot of folks in Spring Hill and, and even north of Spring Hill where people come through Franklin trying to get to the places they work Sam go ahead
2: a lot of people have asked me particularly folks who live on lewisburg pike uh about the construction out there and what yes <laughs> and so uh well t dot that's a t dot or excuse me state highway and they had a 60 inch metal drain pipe that came off the uh, battlefield property there and it was rusting out and it was becoming a hazard so they're putting in a large box culvert in there it's uh they said it may take four or five months but i think they'll get it done sooner than that. I was out there the other day looking at it, so uh, it will be a, a safety improvement, and, uh, and they'll get it done as soon as possible.
0: We've got two other really big things that uh, we need to talk about. There's numerous important things that we could talk about, but uh, Sam, you spent uh, a lot of your energy this uh, session on campaign finance and ethics reform, and uh, you uh, did that, I think, uh, at the request of the Lieutenant Governor and the Speaker of the House you uh, uh, got a lot of input from them on this and uh, got a lot of things done in that area Tell us a little bit about it and
2: uh, yeah I'll give you the reader digest version real quick and and so uh, we started it last session um, last year and uh, it just, something like this complicated takes takes time and you want to make sure you do it right. And so it ended up in conference committee. Uh, there was differences between the House and Senate version, and I had the pleasure yesterday being in the first conference committee with my senator. And uh, we got together yesterday morning very early before session, and and we worked out the differences. But I think we came up with a much better um, uh, piece of legislation. And real quick, uh, i just like to highlight, uh, we are requiring expenditures to be uh, no more itemized expenditures uh, on um, for uh, or any everything will be yeah unitemized expenditures. So anything that we spend during our campaigns, whether it's five dollars for coffee, has to be reported where we spend it in, and in, uh, in the location and the date. So that's I think that will help do a lot more transparency on how people are spending their money. Uh, the 501c4s, uh, 60 days before an election, if they get involved, if they spend over $5,000 aggregate um, getting involved uh, with an election, let's say, for instance, they put Sam Whitson's picture on a, uh, a uh, poster or a uh, mailer and what else and send out, they have to report that they spent that money. Time, Only the- Time
0: out and explain. What is a 501 C4, and how is that different from a PAC?
2: A PAC? Well, 501 C4 is organizations that provide they're nonprofits to provide information, uh, for instance, like the uh, um, could be like the NRA or the Beacon Center and stuff like that. So sometimes these organizations they will become nonprofits, but before an election, they will send out a piece a mail piece or a radio ad that says. Sam Whitson is a dog lover, he doesn't care for cats. Just to try I use that as an example. And uh and try to influence the election. So what we have required is that if they get involved in an election sixty days before a primary or general and they spend over five thousand dollars to influence a the campaign, they must just we're not gonna prevent them from what they're saying. They can still do what they've always done. It's just they have to report their amount of expenditures. And if how they do that Um, because it's a lot of dark money could come in. Sometimes they could spend millions of dollars or they could come in and collect a lot of money and not spend any of it. It makes their contributors say well what are they doing with it then? So this is just more transparency in the election process and we know who and how much they're spending to
0: influence an election. Okay. Now it seemed from the reports I read that um, the the conservative groups like Americans for Prosperity and Tennessee Stands and some of those were coming unglued about this legislation. Why were they concerned?
2: I think they were concerned more about that their members would know how they're spending their money. Uh, the people who make comments. Uh, <laughs> this legislation has been out there over a year, and it, it wasn't until just recently that they... Uh, brought up this issue, and uh, we were kind of surprised, and I appreciate the leadership in the House and the Senate standing firm. Uh, Lieutenant Go- Governor McNally really called them out and said, well, what is this really about? What are you really wanting to hide? And um, so we, you know when you do something like that and you get that kind of reaction, you have hit a nerve or something that people have, you know, uh, uh, that you. I think you're making progress when you do something like that.
0: He, and Jack, you're, you know, you're working side-by-side side with the lieutenant governor, but um, he, he made a pretty strong statement. I'm going to read it. Um, he was quoted as saying, it's amazing that various seemingly legitimate groups are resorting to such disingenuous tactics to oppose it. Um, it, uh, it is it because they're spending so much intent that Tennesseans would be appalled if they knew or is it that they spend so little that they fear they would be exposed as political grifters working only to enrich themselves? What, uh, I mean, can you provide any color to the discussions going on on your side of the fence?
2: One thing, too, though, what i some groups, so they do say they won't change, but they do take credit cards. That's the way I
0: feel <laughs> Got it. Well,
1: yeah, so a 501c4 is, in IRS code, it's, it's termed a social welfare organization. So think of it as issue advocacy. You know, obviously a 501c3, that's your, your charitable churches, you know, whatever. And then, and then you got 501c6s and, and that type of thing. But the, the 501c4, and you see a lot more of this maybe at the federal level than, than even at the state, but you do see some of it at the state is exactly what Sam said. They can raise money. You don't have to disclose, and with our law, you don't have to disclose who's contributing. So somebody can give lots of money, and they can give a little bit of money, or they can get a lot of money from, or, or a lot of people give a little bit of money, or just two or three people give a lot of money. But you end up with an organization now that, that is out doing issue advocacy, perhaps talking about issues that, that, to support whatever cause they, they wish to support. But when you cross that line into uh, trying to impact the outcome of an election, then, then you are straying outside of what these organizations were designed to be able to, to do. As Sam said, nothing in the legislation we passed restricts them from doing anything that they want to do. It's just going to provide a little bit more transparency uh, if they want to try to influence the outcome of an election. Now, a political action committee, that's what you do. I mean, that's what political action committees are for, but you disclose your donors, you disclose your expenditures, there's a lot more transparency, because if somebody's out there trying to get somebody elected or defeated in an election, then we want to know where the money is, is coming from and what it's being spent on. Great. And, and some of the other things, too, that were significant in this legislation is that
2: uh uh, members of the General Assembly and their staff who are involved in campaigns have to disclose that. In the past, they didn't. Also if you start a PAC, you have to provide a photo, and this came out of the Senate which I thought was a great idea, you, you have to provide a photo ID of the members who's operating that PAC so we know that they're real people. And um, also uh, we, uh, we we put more disclosure requirement documents that you, uh, you have to retain. We found out in the legis- uh, in the TCA members of the governor 's cabinet were not required to file a, uh, or were a- excuse me were able to take uh, consulting fees. We had a uh, commissioner that was getting eight thousand dollars a month on the side from a utility i think down in Chattanooga and he was living on state property out at the old prison. We took care of that <laughs> again, and also trial judges were not required to file a disclosure statements, so we put that in and also Statements, disclosure statements now also have to be signed under the penalty of perjury. So, and there's a lot more in this legislation, and I'm sure as we go forward throughout the year,
0: we'll add more. We'll get, get more into it. Sheila Cleveland, our, uh, one of our school board members uh, here with us, will be mad at me if we don't talk about the textbook library book bill that uh, got negotiated there in the final moments of uh, the session. Jack, what... Uh, What does that change in our state? Uh, Been a lot of uh, media reports about uh, parents that weren't happy with uh, various books in our school system. So does this fix their concerns?
1: Well, I think think we ended up with a better piece of legislation. There were numerous numerous drafts out there that were being circulated around that I certainly would not have been able to support. Uh, We got to go back a little bit and talk about a bill that I sponsored for Governor Lee uh, back earlier in the session which was referred to as the uh, Age Appropriate Materials Act. And, and what we're talking about here is just making sure that, that what we have in our school libraries and um, is, is age appropriate for kids yeah. and, and we don't want things that uh, are not age appropriate in, a, in our libraries and all. So what we passed, the, the governor's legislation that we passed earlier in session just simply said that every LEA, and many already have this type of process in place, But every local education agency has to have a process in place uh, where they post online, on their website, every single book that is in the school library. And again, many schools already do this. Uh, You know, back in the, uh, I remember the Dewey Decimal System, right? Do you remember (laughs) card catalogs? Well, obviously, it's it's far more modernized now, and so most districts have a, a digital file with all, everything that's in the library to make that publicly accessible so that parents, school board members, teachers can see that, just in the event that something slips in that, that maybe. And then the LE has to have a process in place for parents or school board members or, you know, stakeholders to be able to say, hey, I don't think that this is an appropriate book or, uh, you know, appropriate material for kindergartners that shouldn't be in the elementary school library. And so we, we passed that earlier in session. Well, there were members that thought, well, we, maybe we need to go an additional step in that. And again, there were some really bad versions of the bill that were out there. But where we ended up passing, we just added to that to say that if a parent or a school board member or a teacher brings something to the attention of the LEA and says, hey, I don't think this is, this is appropriate for first or second graders, and they challenge it, the LEA can address it, remove the book, take care of it, if they don't, and whoever made the initial objection still wants to pursue it, they can now appeal that decision to the Textbook Commission, and then the Textbook Commission can take, take a look at it and, and, and make a decision if that is indeed age appropriate. Some would argue should leave it 100% at the local level. We have wonderful people uh, at, at our local level that I trust implicitly, but you don't necessarily have that all the way across the state. So just added that one extra element, if that makes sense.
0: Sheila um how does it look from your perspective
3: well um one of the things i realized that what you just said is um originally i was thinking it was going to go straight to the textbook commission and then it would take total control out of it so this is a component i learned that's new into it um the only um what about the list is that still on the table where librarians have to submit a list or the state is submitting a list of appropriate books? That's totally off?
1: No, that's, that's, that, that wasn't a version of the bill that was out there. And again, there were a number of versions of, of uh, language that were circulating out there. No, no, there's no master list from which librarians can, can pick and choose from that will still all be decided at the local level. This is only applies in the event that there is a concern from a parent or school board member or teacher, other stakeholder, grandparent, you know, that, that they identify something that's in the library that they don't think is appropriate. They come to the, to the LEA and bring it to their attention. You all decide what you think is best. And if the, the, the original person who made, brought it to the attention is not satisfied, then they can take it up to the Now,
3: bring to level. the LEA, does the book need to be brought up to the board to vote, or is it just something operational that the superintendent decides, you know, if there's um, a challenge with the library, that that person can challenge and go to the state, or does it have to go through board approval? Because the one thing I'm trying to avoid is, especially what's going on now, is us being a book approval board, and that can get very messy and complicated.
1: I don't have the language in front of me i'm ninety nine percent sure no it is an administrative function at the district level. it's not something that would come to the to the board now ultimately though, as you know, Sheila, y'all can overturn anything that's done administratively because you're the school board but but uh, but the, the the initial review process will take place administratively at the district level now, if that parent or teacher or whoever is not happy with that, can they then come to the school board and ask you to intervene? Well, they can do that on anything, right? So certainly you could end up having to, to take it up, but that would be a decision for you all to make um, in, in the event that you wanted to do that.
3: And there was also a piece that I don't know if it's still in the, um, was in the bill was, or the amendment, was if a book was challenged and brought to the state at that level, and the state said, okay, we can remove it, The last amendment said that it could be statewide, then that particular book then gets pulled statewide.
1: No, it it would only apply to that particular library in that particular school. That's that's where it would be. Now, it's going to be known statewide that 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 decision was made by the State Textbook Commission, so a parent who shares that concern in Knox County might go through the same process. So it, it could end up having some state, but it's not an automatic statewide effect.
0: Okay, thank you. Thank you, Sheila. I knew she could ask better questions than I could about that. So uh, you might as well use your audience uh, to your advantage. Uh, Sharon Guffey, our juvenile court judge in Williamson mm-hmm. County, is, was, were there any uh, bills that they were discussing that uh, would affect your operations and uh, the kids that you uh, try to help?
3: It, it was pretty quiet for us this year, um, thankfully. We we've smoothed out JJ reform and um, we had a few things we were involved in as a council judges council but nothing nothing really to speak of thankfully good.
0: it's okay thank you just wanted to give you an opportunity to uh, ask these guys the hard questions that I might have missed and,
2: and Dave that is a good point you just you just made there we do work closely with our constitutional officers our commissioners and our judges. Uh, for instance, uh, the uh, judges, uh, Judge Woody Woodruff came to us and wanted to create a probate master position here in Williamson County, and
0: we carried a bill that created, created that. Good, good. Uh, do y'all want to talk about the transgender athlete bill for a little bit? Uh, <laughs> probably not. Go ahead. Uh, understand, we've got, uh, go ahead, Sam, and tell us uh, what y'all did for the transgender athletes? Uh. We just, uh,
2: in the House version, and I'm sure it was approved in the Senate, is that uh, it just prevents uh, an individual, to, uh, particularly a male, deciding today that he wanted to compete in female sports and that's just not going to be uh, allowed under our law. Okay. Keeps us from being sued also by uh, the female athletes are impacted by this.
0: Good. Um understand you also kicked the homeless people off public property. Um, that, uh, is that something that had to be done? Jack? Yeah,
1: so you know, a few years ago, y'all may recall, in, in the wake of some protests and stuff, we had people that were pitching tents and setting up camp on Legislative Plaza, out in front of the Capitol, on the grounds of the Capitol. I mean, basically setting up homeless camps. And we have school kids and buses that come and bring, you know, kids to tour the Capitol, and it was creating an unsafe environment. And so we passed legislation to make it a crime, to erect a dwelling, and I can't remember the exact but we were very specific with with our language somebody said so if it's a beautiful summer day and i want to take my kids and go down to legislative plaza and lay out a blanket and have a picnic lunch and we you know one of my kids falls asleep and is taking a nap out there is that a crime well of course not of course not but we were very intentional and specific with our language that you're not going to erect you know any type of dwelling a tent or an encampment or things like that and we put a list of things in there We have some problems, not so much here in in Williamson County, but in Putnam County and Cookville. For whatever reason, it's become a big, big problem there. And there are large homeless camps, and they're being set up in public areas, parks, and public right-of-ways, and things of that nature. All we did is we simply made it permissive that a local government can decide, if they choose to do so, to enact what we passed for state capital grounds for their community and we didn't force it we didn't say it is illegal we just said that a local government if the city of franklin or williamson county decided at some point that they wanted to be able to enforce that same law that we passed for those capital grounds they can do so
0: this is a little um, off topic i guess this morning this didn't involve the state but uh a very visible political event happened this past week, exactly. Tuesday night, uh, and the Brownland Farms development uh, here in Franklin was turned down unanimously by the the board here at Franklin. Uh, Matt Brown is the alderman in that uh, area of the town. Um, what
4: uh, what happened, and what's going to happen with that property, Matt? Uh, well, first of all, um, I think. I think what ultimately happened is, is, first and foremost, the community really, really let their their opinions known. I mean, that was such an amazing, just a show of uh, opposition against a development that just really wasn't wise for us. Uh, you know, the community has been saying they want smart growth, and I think that was an example of uh, growth that just wasn't smart for our community. Uh, I applaud the board. You know, Ann and I, uh, Ann and I, were out on an island there, literally, um, on that first vote, and uh, took a nice defeat. But uh, the second time around, everybody. I think everybody saw um, what we were seeing early on, was just this was not good for our community. Um, Now, what could happen of it? I I am really, really hopeful that we see something equestrian, that we see something park. This is a beautiful piece of property. Um, It has been an economic driver for our community for a long time. Uh, I really do think, and I I think there's some people out there who would love to see us do something very meaningful, that, uh, that instead of creating fear and angst, actually create some real excitement and energy in our community great matt
0: appreciate the color on that and uh lena lena bell one of our local franklin special school district board members and a good friend uh uh how's uh what's your son's name Used to play with Johnny. Oh,
5: Trace. Trace. Yes. Good, good. I have a senior this year also. Goodness, yes. Um, I think one thing that I wanted to say, first of all, um, thank you for having it on TV. It allowed me to take my son to school and then slip in here. So it was, I really appreciate it. Um, there were a couple of things that I wasn't quite sure when you guys were talking about charter schools, I didn't get a chance to hear um, if you guys wanted to table that or have a little bit more conversation. But um, before I get to that, I wanted to thank Sam for the courage in um, your campaign finance bill that you, um, that, that passed, um, and I, what I appreciate is two things. First, that you reached across the aisle, and um, I was one of those that was cooking and in um, and cleaning yesterday, watching you guys um, while you were um, or, were just you know um, handling the general assembly. And I really appreciate the fact that um, you had conversation from some of your other constituents, uh, your other um, colleagues, that um, allowed them to share how, how appreciative they were of the details that you put in that. And I, I just strongly feel that we need more accountability. And having said that, um, with the charter schools, my biggest concern is if if charter schools were similar in like public schools with all the accountability and all the detailed metrics that we have to follow through in order for us to be the best fiduciary, um, 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 for our for our constituents, I would be for it. Um, but they don't go through the professional development, they don't go through um, all of the minute details, and they don't have the accountability, frankly. Um, and that is disheartening because um, they're gonna be taking dollars from us, and yet, you say you want accountability, but we're not gonna know where some of those dollars go. Um, I, the other thing I wanna challenge you guys with is, Anybody in the General Assembly, and I I appreciate wholeheartedly that you guys set a standard where you come into our schools, you see our schools, you have interaction with us as school board members, but most of those in the General Assembly have not stepped into a public school, probably ever, if if I can be honest. And they do not know what is happening in those schools. And yet they're able to make laws and um, and create bills that they, they, that um, truly they're clueless on and it's just because it's coming from a couple of people that have tickled their ears so anyway I just I really really want um, accountability all over the spectrum
1: you, you're responded. out of time but uh, thanks Elena I'll, always appreciate the conversation we did absolutely nothing to do with charter schools this year not a single piece of legislation we didn't advance charter schools we didn't do anything and at the end of the day, you and Sheila and your colleagues will decide whether or not there's a charter school in your district. Okay, that's that's. I want to make sure that's clear because we didn't do anything with charter schools. We didn't increase funding. We didn't make it easier. We didn't make it more difficult. We left local control in terms of when and where there is a charter school. So appreciate your your comments and feedback. And we've talked about it before. I just didn't want people to watch watching this think thinking that we did something for or against charter schools this year because we did not.
0: We will, uh, I'm sure, revisit that uh, topic again. And uh, it's what I love about this uh, forum, this uh, format that we have here, because we have such an interesting mix of uh, public officials and and citizens to come in here and uh, and help us get into details. Jack and Sam and the other uh, representatives are so good to be here and give us an opportunity to understand. And kind of how the process works and, and and how things have shaken out the way they have, so uh, hope that uh, all you will come back and bring friends with you uh, we 've got other people out here that could uh, I could ask a lot of questions, but uh, we 're out of time it's uh, it 's been a great uh, session today. I want to thank everyone that it takes to make these uh, these events happen uh, first of all, the uh, local mcdonald 's organization here is uh, providing free coffee better better deal than the senior coffee uh because it's free here guys and you don't have to be a senior so uh our uh, we want to thank them for being here there uh, will be free coffee to all teachers next week all educators uh in uh, honor of the teacher appreciation week and they wanted us to mention that so if you're a teacher coffee soft drinks and so forth are free next week at the most of the local mcdonald's i think there's one or two that are not part of that organization, but uh, most of them in Williamson County. Uh, Creed Henderson and the crew back there, thank you, Creed, for uh, making us uh, look good on TV. Tom, uh, the WAKM connection is uh, valuable to us and we appreciate uh, you uh, getting us on the air there. Uh, we got financial assistance from AT&T and from Vanderbilt University, thanks to Dennis Wagner and uh, the crew there. and. Uh, we uh it's it takes a village at the chamber uh the quarterback uh kel mcdowell and uh nancy uh, yeah i've got them written down because i knew i'd forget somebody nancy abby jenna matt uh, we we appreciate the support y'all provide and uh, last but not least uh, columbia state uh, uh, makes us feel very welcome uh we got a bunch of you in the audience and i'm afraid to try to mention all names but i sure we sure appreciate the the venue here and uh look forward to being back here next month on may 27th and uh we thought we were going to be another session with them so we haven't gotten anybody else booked yet but we'll let you know uh hope you'll be back with us and uh, look forward to seeing you thank you very much